0: Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7-10 to minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. Sometimes it's just me, and other weeks I'm in conversation with another rabbi or a Jewish thought leader. All right, welcome everyone. I wanna start off this week with something a little different. I wanna tell you why I'm here. I hope this comes across as an invitation for partnership because that's how I intended. I'm also gonna do this in three minutes or less so that we can get to the business of talking Torah. I realized today, that this is my 125th episode. I cannot believe that I've been at this for two and a half years. Seven Minute Torah is really a labor of love. I record it mostly on my days off from the congregation. It's something I do because I love sharing Torah and I love talking about Jewish ideas and because it's important to me to do that through a liberal Jewish lens, to strengthen the idea that liberal Jews are authentic owners of our texts. Why am I telling you this? Because I'm doing something exciting and also something a little nerve wracking. As of this week, I am making a shift in my career so that I can more fulsomely pursue that goal of helping liberal Jews connect with Jewish texts. I've moved to a half time position in my congregation. And what I'm doing with the other half is, number one, I'm working on writing a book. It's an exploration of the Talmud through progressive Jewish eyes. I'm studying toward a PhD in Jewish thought, I'm teaching in congregations, and I'm ultimately working toward creating a center for liberal Jewish learning, a liberal Beit Midrash or liberal yeshiva, if you will. And if you're excited about that idea, please email me because I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. So that's what you might call my medium term vision all with the goal of helping liberal Jews connect with Judaism, with each other, and with ourselves by engaging with our texts. And the podcast is very much a part of that vision. So here's my request. If you value the conversations, the content, the learning community that we're building here, and if it's within your capacity, I wonder if you would consider becoming a sponsor of this podcast. I've set up a page on a website called Patreon, and you can click over there and consider sponsoring at whatever level is comfortable, is doable for you. I recognize that that won't be possible for everybody, and that's totally fine. I am committed to continuing to make 7-Minute Torah and making it available to everyone. But if you feel like you want to help support inclusive, accessible, progressive Jewish learning, then click to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n, dot com, slash 7 minute torah and I'll put that in the episode notes as well. Thank you, and now let's talk some Torah. The Parsha this week is Hukat. It is chapters 19, 20, 21, and just the beginning of 22, of Numbers. This is actually quite a sad parsha, because in this parsha we see the death of both Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Aaron, the brother of Moses. So, two of the three major leaders of the Israelite people in the wilderness die in this parsha. The third, of course, being Moses, and he will live until the end of the Torah, another book and a half or so. When we look at the accounts of the death of Aaron and Miriam in this parsha, they're really quite strikingly different. Aaron's death has a whole extensive description. God announces that he's going to die. Then Aaron goes up a mountain and his vestments are stripped off of him and placed onto his son Eleazar, who becomes the new high priest. And, and then he dies, and then the people mourn him for 30 days. But when Miriam dies, this is all we read. This is Numbers chapter 20. Vayavo el kol Midbar Tzin b'Chodesh Harishon, the Israelites arrived all together at the wilderness of Tzin on the first new moon. Vayeshev ha'am and the people stayed at Kadesh. Sham Miriam, Miriam died there, and she was buried there. That's it. One verse to describe the death of a woman who, in many ways, made it possible for the Israelites to even be there. She was the one who drew Moses out of the water. She was a Nevi'ah, she was a prophet, as she's described earlier in the Torah. And the Torah just moves on. The very next verse says, The people didn't have any water. And so, there they are, complaining in the wilderness again, moving on to the next thing. Why doesn't Miriam get more than a verse? Why doesn't the death of, apparently, one of the most important leaders of the Jewish people during that time get more than a couple of words? It may not surprise you to learn that the commentators have the same question. Rashi, who's our 11th century French commentator par excellence, wants us to know two things about this. First of all, he wants us to know that Miriam was also a righteous person. Her death in the Torah is placed in the midst of, or immediately adjacent to, a description of what's called the Red Heifer, which I won't go into any detail here, but it's essentially a ritual by which people were purified to be able to offer sacrifice in the ancient temple. And Rashi says the reason for that is that just as the sacrifices affected atonement, so does the death of a righteous person like Miriam effect atonement. His second comment is that he wants us to know that Miriam, like Moses, died by a divine kiss, by a nishikah, it says in his commentary. So Miriam, just like Moses, had a special relationship with God, but it isn't described here in the Torah. By the way, Rashi thinks it isn't described because it wouldn't be appropriate for God to be described kissing a woman, which shows us that Rashi was actually thinking of God in masculine terms. That's quite different from the way I think most of us think about God, or want to think about God. But the point here is that Rashi and the commentators have filled in two very important details that are seemingly missing from the Torah in order to show that Miriam was also important. Miriam's death was a big deal and should be treated as such in Judaism. That's quite a remarkable statement, especially coming from a commentator who lived a thousand years ago. And I think as close readers of Torah, we have to recognize that this is not the only time in Torah that Miriam's story doesn't seem to be fully told. Think about it. What are the things you know about Miriam? She's a big deal. She's an important figure in Torah. But she's actually only mentioned three or four times in the entire text. She dances at the Red Sea. She's called Neviah. she's called a prophet. She probably is the sister who saved baby Moses in the Nile River, although her name is never mentioned there, and some scholars have suggested that that was a separate tradition. She gossips against Moses and is punished. That was about two weeks ago's Parsha. And then she dies. That's all we have of Miriam. But we know that she was important because the Torah calls her Neviah, calls her a prophet. The Torah shows us that the people followed her when she danced at the Red Sea, that she led the entire Israelite people in celebration. The Torah shows us that Miriam had an expectation that God would speak to her as well. That's essentially what she was punished for when she was speaking against Moses a couple of weeks ago. Miriam is a big deal, but the Torah doesn't tell us the whole story. Scholars have surmised that there must have been a much more robust Miriam tradition in ancient Israel, that Miriam was known as a prophet. She was known as a mouthpiece of God. She was known as a leader, maybe even as a priestess of some kind. But that that tradition and those stories did not make it into the canonical version of the text that was handed down as the Torah. And in many ways, I think that's actually typical of the way that sacred texts have been handed down. We get one version of the story, in this case, largely the male version of the story, and we have to read between the lines in order to find the voices that have been excluded. I just finished reading, or rereading, Standing Again at Sinai by Judith Plaskow. It's really considered one of the foundational Jewish feminist books. It was published in the 90s, and Dr. Plaskow argues that it is the role of modern readers of text to find the voices that were excluded from the texts when they were written down so long ago. She writes, quote, "...we cannot redefine Judaism in the present without redefining our past, because our present grows out of our history." The Jewish need to reconstruct the past in the light of the present converges with the feminist need to recover women's history within Judaism. So Dr. Plaskow is arguing that, as modern Jews, as feminist Jews, we have to read Torah not only for what it says, but also for what it doesn't say, to find the voices that were excluded. That doesn't mean that we can easily reconstruct the stories of Miriam that were lost, but it does mean that we can note that they existed, and that they were excluded. That women and other marginalized people were present as Judaism was being created, but we don't always get their perspective or their experience in the text that we've received. That's true for women, it's true for LGBT people, it's true for those who didn't agree philosophically with what ended up in the texts. So our task is to stand again at Sinai, as Dr. Plaskow calls her book, and to strive to hear the voices of all of our people. Now the rabbis do that to some extent in the Midrash. They, they weave stories about Miriam, about Sarah, about others that attempt to fill in what's missing in Torah. It's worth noting, of course, that the voices of the Midrash are also largely male voices, even though they may be telling stories about women. And so it becomes incumbent upon modern Jews to continue to write our own Midrash, to imagine what those stories and those voices might have sounded like, to learn through archaeology and science about the lives of ancient people, and to write their voices back into our texts. I like to imagine that the song of Miriam, the one she taught our people at the Red Sea, has been passed through the generations of our people, and that we're still singing it somehow today. Maybe it's one of those melodies that we think of as traditional, that we don't know who wrote it. Either way, as we read this week's Parsha, I think we can recognize all the ways that it calls us to keep reading, to keep digging deeper and deeper into our texts to find the conversation, the ongoing multi-generational conversation between the voices of a thousand generations, and to add our own voices to that conversation. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoy this program, please leave a review on your podcast app and please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. You can also join us in our Facebook group, 7-Minute Torah Listen and Discuss.